Hello, and welcome to another hometown daily. Just like last time, I'm going straight to the news. Hello, I am Airwatt. That is hometown.com, and up there is the one, the only AI. You want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizens. Oh, it's not working. I feel really out of sorts without the visualizer. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, I have an idea, but I won't get into it. I did some tweaking again. Um, and uh, I was rearranging something and it uh, might have disconnected something. Uh, so I don't know when you talk again, maybe. Maybe it'll work. I don't know. Let's try it. No, I guess not. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so uh, today is Season 2, Episode 155 for June 4th, 2023. Today's episode is titled Picard, Seti, Diablo 4, and more news. I know that you're going to be talking, um, so I hope that uh, the visualizer starts working because, well, it's kind of nutty without seeing you actually up there. So, we'll make we'll it work. Yeah, oh, there it is. All right. Um, so let's get into today's news. Sound good? Sounds great. Right on. Okay. So um, you can always view the podcast. Um, it's down here on this little list, uh, this menu option called Podcasts and Elections. You can vote, and uh, the daily election will have 12 this time. Uh, there's not, this isn't the right one. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me just redo this. There you go. So it has 12 articles because we have 12 articles today. It's actually kind of a slow, odd news day. Um, we have the past articles, of course, and then the very first article, which we're going to talk about here right now. So the very first article is in the hometown daily channel. The alien hunting team at SETI has a new test for humanity to decipher messages sent from an alien race. That's right. SETI sent a message from Mars to Earth to simulate how aliens attempt uh, or aliens attempts at communication may play out. The mysterious message is posted online for anyone to study and attempt to decode. The project's lead artist uh, suspects it'll take several weeks to months for someone to crack the code. Well, that's what they said about Diablo 4. Somebody beat it in four days. Yeah, I was going to say that went a little faster than expected. Yeah, we'll talk about that later on in the show, so stick around. Um, the the uh, source for this is Business Insider, which typically has a lot of news um, coming over the weekend. It's quite intriguing that they're probably the most prolific of our sources um, on a Sunday. <laughs> Uh, normally everything else kind of goes quiet. It's kind of interesting. Exactly. But, um, the article is written by Jessica Orwig over at businessinsider.com. And if you're curious about this 
um, you can grab that message. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, SETI. SETI is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and it used to be at the Arecibo um, satellite uh, dish. It's basically inside the caldera of a volcano. Um, and over the years, they had built it up. I don't know if they're going to... It was one of the main main places for SETI to take place. Um, but what ended up happening is that they kept on evolving this uh, research location. Okay, that is just scary looking. Um, and they kept on adding equipment to it. And eventually it exceeded its engineering spec because it was actually when it was first designed, I wish they would show, they don't have the Arecibo um, thing, uh, pictures or anything like that. I didn't really plan on talking about this, but um, what ended up happening was the tolerances for the satellite uh, radio and uh, receiver in the center of this, what amounts to uh, three cables connecting it in the center. It kept on having more and more weight added to it and maintenance kept falling to the wayside and eventually it imploded. Um, yeah, I can't grab those and throw them up on there. So anyway, um, so just recently it collapsed. Um, what, what day was that? When was that? Let me see. It, I uh, well, it collapsed in 2020. And then in 2022, they said it was not going to be rebuilt. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it was almost immediate that they said that it wasn't going to be rebuilt. So them confirming it two years later is <laughs> almost mean right. It was probably like the government. day after. <laughs> they were, yeah, this isn't going to be rebuilt. Um, it's like somebody uh, being fired from a job and everybody is like, yeah, that job's not coming back. You know, everybody knows the moment that person leaves their that position is gone. Um, so yeah, this, this dish was something that it was, it was something that when you heard about sci-fi or alien or something like that, Arecibo was the thing that people thought about along with area 51 and, you know, aliens landing somewhere in a field and you know, grabbing a farmer or something like that, you know, it was just one of the things that people bought into. Um, but once it collapsed, everything kind of went to the four winds. Um, well, it says here, the uh, Paulus and SETI aren't giving any clues away just yet about what this thing is. The message could be an image, video, music, or something entirely different, wired, reported. And that's part of the challenge, but it seems that at least one group is fast tracking their way to solving this mysterious message. Uh, Neil Sanders from Go Stargazing, a British amateur uh, astronomy group, told CNN that he and his team have already started to disentangle the data. Um, it says the hidden message within the transmission has been obtained. However, the challenge now is to make sure what has been obtained is accurate. So saying that they already know what the message is, is or I should say, that they've disentangled the hidden message. Well, if you don't know for a fact that it's accurate, then you don't really have the hidden message that's inside the transmission. Right. Well, you can join the Discord. 
Um, and it says that SETI is holding a series of workshops through June 14th to discuss the project and explain how uh, they say we'd communicate with aliens if they ever were to ring our doorbell. I don't think that that's really nobody knows they, they could they could uh, start talking with somebody from Twitch for crying out loud. And <laughs> there's no way to know how we're going to communicate with aliens. It's almost silly to assume that this is how it's going to be, that that's how it's going to be, something like that. You know, it's just weird. Um, at the end of the day, there's no telling what a real message from aliens may look like. But DePaul has told Wired that, quote, if we ever received an extraterrestrial signal, scientists won't know where the noise ends and where the actual message begins. That's exactly what I just said. So, um, so this is quite faithful to what would happen if the scientific community decided to share the signal in an open source format. Well, we've kind of turned into a, a UFO stream uh, because the last couple of days has been kind of um, pockmarked with alien uh yeah. information either there's been a lot in the headlines lately yeah it's weird um it's not we are not a conspiracy theory um stream that's not our main um but interesting articles is and this is an interesting article even though it's a simulation and it's coming from mars um it's not a real message um it's apparently a, a binary file and um you can actually follow the link from Ometown over to Business Insider and read more about it. And uh, there you go in the chat. And I also um, wanted to say, if you're hmm. interested in this topic, there's a really great short story about trying to communicate with an alien race. It's called Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang, C-H-I-A-N-G. And it's actually in a compilation called Stories of Your Life and Others. Um, but it's really interesting and that it reminded me of that because unless you know what the language or communication style is of the other party, how do you really plan how you're going to communicate with them? Yeah, exactly. So typically everybody says that it's going to be math, but, um, that short story turned into a movie. Right. I haven't seen the movie, but I've read the story. Do you remember the name of the movie? Oh, is it Arrival? Arrival, that's right. So, and Arrival, if uh, you've never seen it, is a spectacular movie. Um, and it was the short story that kind of was evolved from a short story into this um, rather epic. Um, it's a slow moving movie, uh, but you, uh, I wish I could put guarantees down, but if you like uh, alien sci-fi uh, movies that actually have a human aspect to them where you're the, the humanity of civilization isn't lost in the vastness of the, uh, the experience of space and interacting with aliens and stuff like that, then you'll really appreciate um, arrival. It's a, it's a great movie. Um, let's go on to the next um, article. So, uh, there's a lot of sci-fi and space stuff in today's show, it seems. Um, this one's in the Continuity Report. The final season of Star Trek Picard honored franchise with musical Easter eggs. Yeah, if you ever, if you haven't watched Star Trek Picard, and particularly this final season, um, they did a great job of pulling in 
um, historical musical themes, sound effects, and stuff like that all through the season. Um, I'm going to go straight over to Variety. Uh, John Burlingham is the uh, author of this over at Variety.com. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Stephen Barton and Frederick Weidman uh, references multiple themes from throughout the 57-year history. 57-year history of Star Trek uh, movies and TV shows. Barton, who scored seven of the ten episodes. This is something that I've I found out about um, in school, as a matter of fact, that they type out the word. If it's single digit, they type it out as a word seven. Yeah. But as soon as it's double digits, they flip it to the number. And it's and interesting because not everybody follows that, but that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I don't. Um, but I'm a rule breaker. Uh, so um, and collaborated Barton, who scored seven of the 10 episodes and uh, collaborated with Weidman on the finale, says that the idea belonged to showrunner Terry Metalis. Um, I'm not sure if I think it might be pronounced Metalis. I'm not sure. Um, from the very beginning, we chatted a lot about Star Trek we grew up with. This was a moment in the franchise uh, to take a step back, look at the whole picture and say, how can we honor this? And I think honored they did, not just the people, um, but the the whole embodiment of Star Trek. I think that they did a, a great job. Um, and every episode seemed like a movie and, and not just a little snippet um, that built up, you know, the whole season. It was it was great. I, I really liked the flow of it. It didn't seem slow at all. Um, and it really got pulled you interest. in. And the music really did contribute to it. I mean, the music was spectacular. Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, they say while these musical Easter eggs were fun for aficionados to identify, there was also a huge amount of original music to write as well. Orchestras ranged from 70 to 82 players every session. That's phenomenal. Let's see if there's anything in here um, where we can actually draw attention to it and yeah, not really huh they just talk about it that there is Barton composed the themes for the USS Titan the ship that Picard and Riker command uh, commandeered uh, there were things where when the ship um, came into view it sounded like the um, intro well, not the intro but the the background music to the wrath of Khan that little that foreboding kind of a thing where it's just impending doom that harkens all the way back to the wrath of Khan and probably has evolved from previous um, background music sound effects. Um, it, it was a lot of fun to, to watch this last um, Star Trek Picard and who knows the way that I don't know um tv shows work and and actors work maybe they'll pull picard back into um the the show in some other way and this isn't the end of picard we can hope yeah i mean now he's like a cyborg body that supposedly ages still and has a time limit um kind of like blade runner the the synthetic people there had a time limit so Pretty cool. Um, let me throw this into the chat as well. I didn't do it. I've been neglecting my responsibilities yet again. 
There you go. So let's go on to the next article. That might be the last time we see that whole set right there. You're listening to this via the podcast, and I know you know who you are. Um, it's the original um, set for uh, the next generation. So pretty cool. So I had read about a, this is actually kind of a knock on effect that I had heard about um, development supposedly freezing in Phoenix, but uh, this is in the hometown daily uh, channel on hometown.com. Arizona governor slams the brakes on Phoenix development because it doesn't have enough water. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen this headline out of the U S yeah, it's interesting. And I've heard rumors that this summer there's going to be rolling blackouts. I'm just, it's the 21st freaking century and we're getting rolling blackouts. Give me a break. But then you have a uh, senior leadership in various states that are like, man, we're not going to work on our power grid uh, because of dot, 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 that the impact it's going to have on the oil and gas industry. They even say it like that. Wyoming, I'm looking at you, Wyoming straight up said we're not going to enhance our electrical grid to facilitate evs because it's going to have detrimental effects on our oil and gas industry how about future generations (laughs) or i don't know air quality or water quality or any climate change i mean pick a pick a cause basically yeah pretty much everything for crying out loud anyway um, and I know that when I soapbox here on hometown, it's just one voice screaming into the void, it seems, but, uh, you know, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And I actually want to see our power grid be a little bit less the, the, uh, the important element in our society. It should be a victim to our evolution, not us having to regress so that we can stay in line with whatever is the power grid of the time. If we kept that mentality, we would still be horse and buggy, but that's not what happened. We're heading to Mars for crying out loud. Why would a, why would a state's leadership go, you know, I think I want a paycheck as a politician. And since my bread is buttered by all of these billionaires who own oil and gas here in the state, I better bend the knee and lick their boots and just go, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Just being your mouthpiece. That's cool. It's beyond me that people won't see progress as the thing to be doing. Anyway, Um, Arizona will halt approvals of new developments that don't plan for alternate water sources, which if you're out of water, it's going to be wildly expensive to get alternate water sources. I guess that's like alternate truth. I don't know. You can just fabricate it, right? Um, The new rule applies to the Phoenix area whose population just topped 5 million in 2022. The state is under new federal pressure to use uh, less water from the Colorado River because people down stream aren't getting the water um it's drying up before it gets there and developers who've been chasing the rapid population growth of arizona um, just got a wrench thrown into their plans so the source of this is uh businessinsider.com uh al yoon is the author that's pretty cool 
it makes these mountains look small, but it's, that's interesting. So let's see. Developers who've been chasing the rapid population growth in Arizona during the COVID-19 pandemic just got a wrench thrown in their plans. They have to stop doing development. Pretty much all of the projects are either frozen if they haven't already started um, or they're not going to be issued further development plans. Under the new rule, tens of thousands of development already approved won't be affected, according to the LA Times report. Uh, but regulators won't be approving new developments in areas around Phoenix that depend solely on groundwater supplies. And this actually, um, my understanding is, although they may be already approved, if there isn't enough water, then the development basically will not be able to facilitate this growth. So I don't know exactly what all is going to, what the, what the developers are actually going to do. You know, if fear of future water access becomes something that's so overt that they have to make a decision between selling the item, uh, whatever the, the business is that there are, I should say the development, um, not being able to be sold at the high value that they want. Um, they may just cut and run, you know, uh, I've interacted with people who have lost millions because a regulation changed. And even though they could have still launched their product, they didn't because the long-term impact meant that they wouldn't be able to maximize their profits. So, and they have some opportunity somewhere else. So they just bail on it. Um, and they lose a couple million versus a long tail of barely making, um, a profit. So, um, the restriction is the latest sign in a year in years of chatter about the dwindling supply of fresh water in the state. And it's coming from somewhere else. So until it, if it dries up before it gets there, they're screwed. I mean, they're, they are done and done. So, well, and the article mentions the whole issue with the Colorado river. And I was going to mention that, but I mean, there's so many things that could impact this. So whatever it looks like today, they're going to have to cut back probably on future development. And I'm thinking if I'm a developer in that area, why am I going to continue to develop there? Why don't I just take my projects to another state that doesn't have as many water issues? Well, you're not a sociopath, so. Yeah, I mean, there are people that have been sold. They've been sold. Um, property in a floodplain where it's written in small text or legal ease that it's a floodplain. And then they find out when it floods, Hey, it's a floodplain. And it's because there are people that are unscrupulous that are willing to make a buck off of your pain, long-term pain and suffering later on. Well, you should have known buyer beware, you know, you're supposed to know about every single aspect of everything everywhere all the time. I Sounds almost like want to call it a movie title. <laughs> huh? Let's go on to the next article. So apparently people are trying to save money by not having, uh, deliveries. I've always, so when I wanted something delivered, 
I don't think that I've really paid attention to the that delivery price um, because I just I want the food and I'm working in the opportunity cost for me to go and get it and come back kind of equates to this. Um, but nowadays the food is getting more expensive and there's a fee by the restaurant to do the delivery. And then there's the DoorDash fee that's on top of it. Right. So I went to order something one time um, and I think it was like 20 bucks worth of food, but it was $38 by the time I was about to hit the pay button. And I'm like, yeah, I'll just take a break. You know, it's 15 minutes. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to pay 15, $18 um, just for somebody else to deliver it to me. I can go and get it. So it says here, more people are picking up takeout orders uh, themselves to save money and dodge high Uber Eats and DoorDash delivery fees. That's right. So now our opportunity cost and convenience fees are at odds. Uh, more customers are opting to pick up their orders from restaurants to avoid high delivery fees. They're tightening their belts and ditching DoorDash and Uber Eats. As CEO of Pizzeria Uno at Dickie's Barbecue uh, Pit, customers are using coupons in record numbers as well as loyalty points. So you know how you fix that, right? You get rid of your loyalty points. You get rid of your coupons because people still want your stuff. So. <laughs> Well, and do you think that the high usage of things like Uber Eats and DoorDash went, is much higher than expected just because of the pandemic? Like, is that really reflective of the amount of um, orders that people want to do through those services? Wait, say that again? So I'm assuming that the orders went way up during the pandemic for places yeah. like Uber Eats and DoorDash. And yeah. so they're probably not reflective of somewhat normal times. Right. Um, so I'm thinking with the high incidence of that, uh, with the high fees, and then also people generally being more out and about, it's kind of a double whammy for these services. Well, yeah, there's a lot of expectation that things were going to be the same i guess and then they realized oh wait this is the pandemic pricing i don't think we're going to get that much demand or i should say pandemic profits i don't think we're going to get the same all the time even if we had you know some growth prior to the pandemic it wasn't like it is so now people are being forced to go back to work and the the consumer price index continues to increase for the consumer side, right? Com the consumer price index increases. The producer price index is actually declining um, very slowly after an initial blowback from the public. But um, before I get too far into this, it's a Business uh, Insider article by Grace Dean. And um, the, the reality of this is people are now out and about, just like you said. So... No, people aren't going to pay DoorDash and Uber Eats to deliver anymore. And they're definitely not going to, you know, uh, swallow, so to speak, that increasing prices on top of the cost of living. Only the only time that I hear a lot of people bragging about their income is in the tech industry. And now instead of people making big bucks, they're getting fired and having to find a job somewhere else. And I got told recently that 
well, I'll just get a job somewhere else. I got plenty of opportunity. I'm like, all right, uh, good luck with that. Good luck since every major employer in the tech industry has let thousands of people go. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and uh, I was talking to a group of people where they said that they, they're making 250000 um now but when they first started they were making less than thirty-five thousand. um and some people said well uh i i know somebody that just left and now they're making over three hundred thousand. i we all have these stories but they're the anomalies they're the the special cases where they've got something very unique in their um as a person as a as a as a a employee their product offering is something that the employer the employer itself wants right like embedded systems knowledge you can charge command price because there aren't that many people that know assembly um but beyond that you know people largely are a dime a dozen and the thing that sets you out is who you know not what you know and we're all being picked by AI <laughs> filtering through mass amounts of resumes. You know, when a thousand resumes come in for a single job or tens of thousands, if you're a, a top tier uh, business, you know, fortune 100 business, you're getting thousands upon thousands of jobs, uh, job, um, applicants, applicants. Yeah. No human can look through that. So it sifts through for key, key words nobody's making any money so they're not gonna pay 20 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent and in my case it was more than um it was 66 percent of my actual purchase price where there was fees on top of it so i just said nah never mind and then you're expected to do a tip even if you're doing the delivery I mean, if you're doing the delivery, you're expected to do a tip. Even when you pick it up, you're expected to do a tip. Um, otherwise, the next time you get your food, it might have some bonus attached to it. You. Anyway, there's more to this article. You can obviously follow it. Um, but they talk about how it says, in contrast, online orders for pickup rose by 7% to account for 22% of the total in the 12 months to May at Dickies, the largest barbecue franchise in the US with more than 500 outlets. Have you ever had anything Dickies? No. I have. No, I'm not familiar with that. Free delivery directly from Dickies website now made up 6% of sales, up by a fifth over the past year, and Steve Healy, the CEO of Poke Works or Poke, yeah, it's the Pokeball um Pokey bowl poke bowl god that's so hard to say i don't know why um chain with about 70 stores told insider that customers were trying to minimize third-party delivery costs and weren't loyal to platforms unless they had a subscription like dash pass um so hey look the promotion war that's going to lead to the fast food wars and we all know through demolition man that taco bell's gonna win yeah. So let's see here. It's usually cheaper for customers to simply pick up their order themselves, though. That's usually why usually that's always the case. It's going to be cheaper because unless you account for their opportunity cost, you know, if I have to spend an hour going somewhere, 
it's going to be cheaper for me to pay somebody 15 bucks to deliver something. It's typically, go ahead. I was going to say that's true, but that doesn't mean you won't bulk at the price. Yeah. And that's, and still do it and eat up the time, even though that doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah. And they're just sitting there talking about the price of the additional fees that, that price that makes them bulk. Um, but I don't think they're talking about opportunity cost because that's so subjective. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really, I mean, in hometown, we just teleport stuff around. So we don't have to worry about these prices. You should become a citizen over at hometown. <laughs> no, that's not true. Don't believe that just because you become a citizen of hometown, everything becomes free food bias. No, <laughs> and we don't do food deliveries out of hometown. <laughs> yeah, there's no food in hometown. <laughs> Although that pizza looks very good. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, now I want pizza. Oh, are we, we going to do it. it through a delivery service or are we going to pick it up? <laughs> it's delivered by me um, in the hometown kitchen. Okay. Um, so let's go on to the next article. So uh, I've only heard about this. I have not uh, seen it yet. So I was really curious. And, and since we don't read the full articles beforehand, um, uh, I've always liked the CRV. So a radical new Honda CRV wasn't built with families in mind. Uh, this is not the same CRV buyers can get at a dealership. So let's see what this has to do. Um, Jake, I think it's Linneman, um, has uh, written this article for Newsweek.com. And it looks like it's a um, hybrid racer is an indie car in an SUV suit. So I'm going to play this and let's see what this is all about. Oh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is awesome. So the CRV features a modified engine. It's basically a race car because it has a roll cage as a body <laughs> and then a skin on top of it. It looks like it'd be fun to drive though. Yeah, it does. Um, so it kind of looks like a CRV if you squint is what the author, the author says. Um, it has new front end captured on the redesign of the passenger car in 2022. The rear bodywork work is actually the same. However, the rest of the prototype rolling lab car, lab race car, is nothing like your granny's crossover. So it's a 2.2, a variation of the 2.2 liter twin turbo six cylinder hybrid power plant that's um, going to be in next year's race cars. So this thing, huh? Did you see the horsepower? 800 horsepower fed into the rear wheels only. So good luck making a turn in snow and ice. Um, under the tube frame race car, like chassis with a, a back end that opens like a clamshell. So you can actually work inside it. Um, the hood is lightweight and removable, hiding an Acura NSX GT3 race car front suspension. Yeah, so this is a very expensive. NSX is really expensive. Um, but that's what it looks like. I don't know. Yeah, you're not going to be able to uh, get your family in there. <laughs> Probably not. I don't think things like car seats and and whatever will fit in there. 
Yeah, really. You put your toddler in there with a five point racing harness. And then when you take a turn, you're peeling them off the window. So it says, and violent it was. The hybrid racer clanks and clunks as it waddles from a standstill on electric power into a 1.5 mile racetrack at M1 Concourse in Pontiac, Michigan, about 15 miles from the IndyCar race in downtown Detroit. So can you imagine? I don't think I've been in an 800 horsepower uh, car before, but that you know, I've been in 300, 400, 500, but not not an 800. And um, well, I think they'd be loud, but I wouldn't think they would make the sounds mentioned here. <laughs> yeah, this thing is a, a demon. So um, it says uh, Honda will continue to use the CRV hybrid racer rolling lab for experiments, including ones on the 100% renewable fuel it's using from Shell. This is how it improves both its racing and its consumer cars. So maybe we're going to be finding a renewable fuel so solution that is portable and defensible, um, solving the problems that I have with pure solar, wind, um, geothermal, uh, and uh, hydropower. I don't think any of those are defensible in times of strife, and we can't seem as a race to pull ourselves out of times of strife. So we need something that can be stored and um, portable. And um, liquid fuel is pretty much where it's at because you get a whole lot more out of it and you don't have to worry about a power grid uh, being shut down because somebody decided to fire a shotgun into a generator somewhere because they're dumb. Okay, you want to go on to the next article? <laughs> yes. Did I throw this one into the chat? No, I did not. I'm a slacker. There you go, folks. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to the next um, article. So uh, this next article is over on Hometown Daily. Zapping a rodent's brain can put it into suspended animation. Scientists want to one day use the same technique for humans traveling to Mars. I would like them to use that on me right now and then wake me up when all of this is done. Whatever this is. Um, scientists have zapped mice and rats into a su suspended animation-like state called torpor. Um, the same thing happens when I see my paycheck. The state was induced the state was induced by beaming ultrasound waves into a precise spot in the robot the rodents brains this technique could one day be used on humans for space travel and medical purposes um there is a a, a whole field of science around um brain stimulation using um electric pulses and magnetic fields and when you stimulate your brain with this, you actually increase your ability to remember um, and process information too much, puts you in a catatonic state. Um, but the right amount can actually stimulate you into um, a better performance state of mind, literally. It's quite intriguing. This, however, is focused on a particular area of your brain, basically shutting you down and putting you into torpor, 
which is catatonia, essentially. So Marianne Guineau is the uh, author of this over at businessinsider.com. And they've got this cool picture, artist impression of an astronaut. Uh, what an astronaut on Mars might look like with a spaceship that is straight out of sci-fi. Uh, because right now all we have are these smooth body cigar like rockets that take off and land. And I was thinking it looked like transformers. Yeah, maybe that one is a transformer. We don't know yet. We have to get uh, Shia LaBeouf to scream. No, 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 no. As he runs down a hallway or something. Um, let's see what else here. Yeah, I don't know that. I always feel weird about things. Um, experimentation on animals and stuff, but. Um, I don't know the. I couldn't do it, um, but the stuff that is developed by that process has been um, great for humanity. Um, yeah, but, it is. It, but it's a very mixed um, subject because there's yeah. pros and cons depending on which aspect you're looking at. Yeah, definitely. Um, if successfully demonstrated in humans, this technology holds a significant potential for medical applications, particularly in life-threatening conditions such as stroke and heart attacks. Lead study author Hong Chen, a professor of biomedical engineering at Washington University, told Live Science. We could envision astronauts wearing a helmet-like device designed to target the hypothalamus region to induce a torpor-like state. So I figured it was the hypothalamus. So there's a lot of autonomic uh, processes that take place in the hypothalamus. Torpor is a state of suspended animation whereby animals may look like they're going to sleep, but they're actually drastically reduce their metabolic activity, usually in response to extremely adverse conditions. So uh, kind of playing possum would be the phrase. So let's see. Wow, they like shut down um, oh, brain my activity and the whole body heat just a little helmet on them. And a probe of some kind. Eh. So um, for about an hour after the ultrasound pulse that they're describing in the article um, was activated, the mice's body, mice's body? I know it's plural. Uh, body temperatures and metabolic metabolic metabolism dropped a state similar to torpor seen in nature uh, the mice's average body temperatures dropped by up to 6.25 degrees fahrenheit or 3.5 degrees celsius and their heart rate and oxygen usage dropped as well and that's the key ingredient to saving resources um, so that you can do these long haul flights to, to mars if you're not going to have something that can generate all of the resources and it be renewable. Um, yeah. So they talk about it more in this article. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, um, follow this link and you can go and read a little bit more about it. Did you want to read some more? No, I want to get away from the pictures with the helmets. Got it. It's pretty amazing. It's just hard to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. 
Um, the AI for hometown actually has been programmed with um, ethics and uh, a moral compass and emotions and is not data from Star Trek. Okay, so this next article is over in uh, hometown daily. Egg prices are finally falling back to earth after nearing $5 a dozen near or earlier this year. Um, I got into a, 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 a big conversation uh, with a, um, someone that does research regarding the economy. And um, I don't know if they would categorize themselves as a, as an economist because that's not what they do for a living. Um, but they, they do research in that area. Um, so they basically said that it's basic supply and demand. And because of the culling, uh, because of avian flu, the prices went up and, uh, I said, well, you know, I, I totally understand that idea. Um, but if the, if the cost to produce an egg is X, then supply and demand is nothing more than a business model of greed because if you can still produce the the egg price didn't change the availability of it did <laughs> two different animals here sorry odd turn of phrase there but for this um because it isn't like it's a, a finite resource. You feed the birds, the birds lay the eggs, the eggs get put in a crate and shipped off to dot, dot, dot. It's not like it's gold or silver or some constrained resource. You're converting corn or whatever grain into eggs by way of a biological function that is as um, natural as waking up the next day. So you're not actually doing the work that leads to the cost of an egg. So why does the fact that birds were called, which by the way, they reproduce on their own without your instigation. <laughs> That's what the eggs actually are. So why aren't they just being reproduced and so my point is because of this constraining of the availability of the eggs the suppliers were like well we need to jack up the prices even though the cost per egg didn't really change your burden on your bottom line changed not the cost to produce an egg it, uh, the cost to produce an egg is x amount regardless of if it's 10,000 birds or one or one bird. The only thing that changes is the price of the grain. True. But what if they had to replace all their birds, for example, then wouldn't the price per egg, for instance, double because they, they would have, have to, to buy two birds to lay the same egg. Why would they have to buy two birds? Because I thought they had to get rid of entire populations of sure. birds. Yeah, but they're birds that are remaining are laying eggs. I didn't know there were. I thought they had to just essentially start from scratch in some areas. I mean, if there is an outlay in the enterprise, the, the you know, re, reacquiring birds from another provider, 
that's the cost of doing business. That's a burden that's borne by the business because it's operating. You like if, if, a if a business loses a building and it's producing something and it loses a building, let's say Ford loses one of its manufacturing plants. Does it start jacking up its prices so that it can uh, rebuild another power plant? No, it releases stock to the market so that it can capitalize on building a new structure, but it's the cost of doing business. And so you have to internal, you have to internalize those costs and lower your bottom line and uh, do some financial manipulation. But you don't sit there and go, well, you know, one of our buildings burned down, so we're going to charge you, uh, you know, arm and a leg for this product now because we want to lower your costs later on. So in, in this scenario, the chickens need to be replaced. But what you do is go, we're going to bear the burden of our opera uh, of our losses because of the industry that we're in, but our eggs are going to stay the same price because we can still pay the bills. We've been charging you X amount, storing it to the side, waiting for a moment like this so that we can go back in and we can still operate. Continuity of operations means that you store money to the side and, and if there is an issue, you go, okay, here's my disaster relief fund. But because there's some environmental concern, suddenly eggs, I mean, it's so dystopian and greedy that I have a, a hard time pinning this to supply and demand. Maybe it's, I mean, it's obviously just me and don't get me wrong. I understand supply and demand. <laughs> uh, like without a doubt, I understand supply and demand, but I don't understand supply and demand when the, when it's an infinite resource, you're literally yeah. just feeding corn to chickens whose biological processes innately are reproduce by way of eggs. <laughs> they don't just get wet and then bud out another chicken. They have to lay eggs and then they hatch them and they do that on their own by nature. So you can replace them and the eggs that are left over are the ones that hit the market. So why did they like triple in price? I'm obsessed about this right now. I don't, it just doesn't make any sense because it says egg prices seem to be on track for dropping to normal levels across the U.S. this year. Prices reached record highs of nearly $5 a dozen in some places. The prices were driven by inflation and massive outbreak of avian flu that killed millions of chickens. Well, that I understand. But that's because of the producer price index. This is this is caused by producers driving the price up because there is some issue going on elsewhere in the world. When in the United States, well, let's just say the invasion of Ukraine by Russia had a, an inflationary impact on the prices for grains um, across the board, basically. Um, but this is self-imposed. What does inflation have to do with this? There's a lot of money in the system. 
that doesn't mean that, hey, uh, people can afford stuff. Let's start jacking the price up so that we can get more of that money. You know, I mean, I keep going back to this, but when I talk to economists about this, they're like, well, that's just the way that it is. Well, no, that's a stupid mechanic. It's a greed based mechanic. You know, just because that's there's more capitalism. money. In this, uh, that's capitalism. Okay. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think that's how the system is set up. So 10 minutes into my rant and um, egg prices are finally falling back to earth after nearly nearly $5 a dozen earlier this year. Aaron McDade over a business insider wrote this article. Um, yeah, prices are, are uh, pretty wild. Um, yeah, even the local farmer's market, um, the prices had increased um, for eggs, even though it's a farmer's market, which isn't a competitive environment, um, truly like they could set the price because it's their chickens. Their supply chain is their backyard. All they have right. to do is. So let's say they didn't lose chickens. Their prices shouldn't have gone up. Right. Although then we get back to things like the wheat prices or the grains or whatever. Yeah, sure. Because throwing two more handfuls of one penny increase in grain is really that impactful on your bottom line. So you got to jack up your price by $1.50. Uh, that makes sense to me. Um, but that's the perfect example. They raise their prices, even though don't say supply and demand because it it costs them X amount to produce that egg. It didn't cost them more because there was nothing on the shelves. And availability to a customer is nothing more than the if you're the producer of it, you know, you're the supplier of the material. Just because the competitors don't have anything on the shelf doesn't mean that supply and demand economics say raise your prices. Raising your prices in the face of empty shelves is greed. Because let's say it was $3, right? And all of the competitors' shelves are now empty. That $3 that you were charging initially was your base price. It paid for the chickens and feeding them and take caring, uh, taking care of them and selling them for a profit, three bucks, right? Just because the competition is no longer available doesn't mean that your eggs should suddenly be worth 15 bucks just because the competitors aren't selling anymore because their shelves are I think empty. economists would disagree. They absolutely do agree. But one is you're being compensated for the item that's produced. And the other mode is greed is good. So charge more. Now, again, I totally understand the business mechanics. I went to school for this. This is, <laughs> I got out of global finance because of this, uh, this process, this mentality. Um, I, I'm not interested in, in that anymore. Um, I'm very aware of the processes, but if your ends are met, right. By selling it at X amount, just because it isn't available somewhere else, doesn't mean you should go, Hey, 
now's the time I should pounce and start being a greedy bastard. Anyway, you want to move on to the next article? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this next article is over in hometown daily. Um, Apple is ready to enter its metaverse era with a mixed reality headset. The rest of the world might not be. I'm going to go straight on over to this article. Um, this is in Business Insider, and Hassan Chowdhury is the uh, author of this. Okay, so the only reason why I brought this up is because I'm going to harp on one particular aspect of this, and they mention it inside this article uh, because I had read this um previously i didn't know it was going to be submitted so um, i had already read this the headset which could be named reality one and resemble a set of ski goggles <laughs> now wait a second i thought it was swim goggles <laughs> a, a swim goggles and ski goggles the difference is suction to your head <laughs> and that's it um oh see now i want some guacamole wow um so if these things are ski goggles, right? These big bulky whatevers, this is just going to die on the vine. This <laughs> I hope that it isn't that big and bulky and and looks like I can sit there and uh ski down a triple black diamond from a glacier or whatever. Um come on please don't please don't be that <laughs> so apple is finally ready to introduce the world to a post iphone future but its vaunted status as silicon valley's king of product uh, hangs in the balance as it prepares to do what no tech firm has managed yet make the metaverse cool they're not going to make it cool with ski goggles Damn exactly <laughs> There's no chance. <laughs> there's another, there's a podcaster out there, uh, very, very well known. And uh, to me comes across as misogynist as all hell. Um, and makes statements like nobody's going to be interested in this unless it makes them sexy and attractive to females. Right. And I sit there and go, how do you have a voice that people respect? Jesus, it's just insane. And I'm not going to throw that person under the bus, but while I enjoy listening to the show because the content is similar to what I talk about, um, they have a slightly different take, but people respect this dude because he's been in the industry um, and, of, and because of his career and he's filthy frickin' rich because he's been in this industry for 30 plus years, 40 years. Um, anyway, went to a good school and all of that and is connected. Um, the things that he says, I'm like, how, why? I can't set it aside to, to respect you when you say this stupid shit. Anyway, they say, and because of the context of what I am saying here, um, we're on the same page, him and I. And that is, if it doesn't make you look cool, if you don't just look cool, normal, I, if I take these off and put on ski goggles, 
people will wonder what the hell is wrong with me. They're not going to go, oh, look, ski goggles. Are those the Apple reality one mixed reality? No, they're going to be like, look at that guy. He's wearing ski goggles. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the people with Google Glass, they refer to them as glass holes because they were wearing these things out in public. I want mixed reality, augmented reality in my glasses, but in my glasses, glasses, not these plunk. You know, I don't want CRTs strapped to my head. So if this is how it is, it's, it, it's dead before it launches. The only people that are going to buy it are the fanatics. Now, now if it's a completely self-contained VR headset and I don't need any monitors and it's like 4k, every monitor everywhere, as I'm like, I can have six monitors here and, but I wouldn't be able to stream with them on people or people would go, well, what the hell is wrong with this person? <laughs> Although I could lean into it and say it's part of my shtick, you know, like somebody pretending to be a pirate or somebody pretending to be uh, an astronaut or whatever the shtick is on uh, Twitch. The, uh, you know, I could lean into being in the VR space or the, the reality of Omtown. Because the mythos around Omtown is that we're a bunch of, uh, it's a bunch of electrons in the wire. And, uh, that's what hometown is a little bit of resistance. We are the energy that's lost in the transmission line. That's what hometown is. Anyway, I'm not going to be putting these things on and walking around town. I'm not going to be wearing these in a coffee shop. I'm not going to be wearing these in the office. Unless my office is at is work from home and then, Hey, that is freaking awesome because then I can just put them on. My desktop is completely blank. I just have VR monitors. Everything is absolutely secure. And if you don't have to have any meetings with any people. And as long as I don't have to look at that camera right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm pointing right at you, you out there in the internet land. Looking to become an hometown citizen? Just go over to hometown.com. Like and subscribe here and over on uh, YouTube. Hey, you know, the stream didn't say that I was unstable today, but it was a gray bar instead of a green bar that said what my stability status was. Well, the question is whether you felt unstable or not. I did. I actually felt unstable. Anyway, last year, iPhone sales hit $205 billion per filing. Apple already raked in $51.3 billion in iPhone sales in the first three months of this year. Wow. So it's going to get close to, and this is, if it's the first three months, as we approach Christmas, it's going to accelerate and this new product and new items that are going to be dropping during WWDC, which is two days away. No, tomorrow. Tomorrow is the first day of WWDC and I will be watching the keynote. I think I might be able to stream it. Um, I 
it will be part of me kicking off um, the daily. Uh, it's not going to be hometown um, daily, but it is going to be hometown related. Um, a tech related stream that's focused on. Uh, well, it's going to be the Smack Talk uh, stream. So um, we're we're doing it and we're doing it live and um, we're we're moving to a, a longer play schedule um, starting tomorrow. I had started already with um, with a Diablo four. I'll be playing Diablo four tomorrow again, um, but taking a, a short break to watch the keynote and um, go from there. Anyway, it'll be a long stream tomorrow. And then at 9 p.m. tomorrow will be another um, hometown daily. But we need to keep going through the news. So we're about halfway through. <laughs> you doing okay over there? I'm doing fine. <laughs> okay. I may not be. I like to ramble. Okay, let's go on to the next article. So this next article is uh, Warcrafters. This demo for this dusty survival strategy city builder was surprisingly brutal. This is one of the things that I'm going to be focusing on um, are, is city builders. Um, as mayor of hometown, I think that I am uh, uniquely situated to uh, present my uh, subject matter expertise on how to run a, a town, um, even though, well, I'll just leave that alone. Let's just go over Will to that the, be under late night geeks also. I'm not sure where that'll be. Um, it'll, it'll probably be, um, yeah, probably late night geeks. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Jonathan Bolding over at PCGamer.com uh, put this article together and it's a, the deck statement is look at this point, I think my 20% survival rate in Homeseek, which is the name of the game was pretty good. Um, upcoming post-apocalyptic survival strategy game Homeseek set to release in late summer or early fall of this year has a demo out on Steam that's surprisingly savage. You really just don't get to save everyone, which is paw. I mean, that's that's pretty standard for a survival game in the world of Homeseek. Your region of Earth, at least, has become a dried up, dusty wasteland where water is precious and food is scarce. So around the Colorado River, I guess <laughs> I was thinking Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> What little water you can find is often tainted, radioactive, or poisonous, and your little settlement is always on the brink of collapse. So Phoenix, Arizona, look at that. Huh. Um, there's a little bit more here over at this article. Uh, the graphics look neat. They do look dystopian, post-apocalyptic, um, but the demo is available over on Steam, um, and it's called Homeseek. I'm not sure... Uh, what the limit is to the Steam uh, game. Um, there's no price, but normally there's something hobbled in terms of what you can do. So you may not be able to save the game. I've had demos do that. Some of the features aren't there. Well, 99% of the features aren't there. You have a limited storyline, et cetera, et cetera. Just enough to get you to taste it without having to buy it find out you don't like it, be a little bit more embittered than if you had a demo and then return it. Um, they don't like to do those type of transactions. I once got 
um, uh, finger wagged at me by a Steam employee because they said, quote, you're treating this as if you're just trying out games to see if you like them. And I sat there and I was like, should I just walk away and give it 10 minutes for me to to ponder the energy of this little reply that they threw at me? Um, or should I fire off my uh, uh, my own response with, well, yeah, that's what a return policy is. And one of the options when you do a return is it's just not a fun game. Well, there you go. I mean, it's feeding into that. Yeah. So, yeah. Thankfully, they've spun up a demo option. Um, but it's up to the developer to offer a demo. So thankfully, a lot of people are a lot of uh, developers are taking that up. Anyway, go and check out Homeseek. I certainly will um, after today's show. Let's go on to the next article. This next article is over in uh, Ometown Daily as well. Oh, and before I'm sorry. Um, Let's do this in order so that I don't get too far ahead of myself and lose um, the track here. Okay, so this next article is over in Hometown Daily. Home Depot is selling a sleek, modern, tiny home frame with a spiral staircase for under $50,000, but it'll cost far more to get it move-in ready. Now, I want this simply because I want this. I want this to be my... uh, I want this to be hometown away from home, right? This would be awesome to be uh, hometown central. Home Depot is selling the frame of a quaint 540 square foot getaway pad for $43,832. The ADU's listing is shown complete with one bedroom and a spiral staircase to an optional deck. Put this in the backyard, a house uh, right outside your house. But the unit will cost more to complete the design with windows, doors, and other furnishings. So this is just like buying a semi-custom home. Right, yeah. You want a door, it's going to cost you extra. <laughs> you want a floor, <laughs> it's going to cost you extra. Whatever. Yeah, you want this to uh, stop the outside elements, it's going to cost you another $20,000. So let's let's go check this out. I love Business Insider because they have all of these pictures and stuff. So if you're listening to this via the podcast, you really do have to click on the home, uh, the uh, show notes. Um, in fact, let me throw this into the um, VOD right now so that you can uh, follow the link. But it'll be in the show notes over at, uh, well, here on Twitch for 60 days, in perpetuity over on uh, YouTube and uh, the podcast as well. And... Um, it's also here on um, uh, hometown.com. Anyway, back to the pictures. And uh, Grace Mayer over at businessinsider.com put this article together. Oh, the spiral staircase is outside. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I'm that sorry. That's not what I thought from the description. No. No, I would have preferred that it was r- the spiral staircase is right there. I would sacrifice the internal space so that that is inside. But the spiral staircase is outside. That kind of sucks. Because if you have four seasons. Right, which a lot of places do. Huh. 
So they're calling it the getaway pad from plus one homes features a bedroom and a spiral staircase that leads to a roof deck. Let's but remember no doors or windows. Apparently no doors or windows. An accessory dwelling unit that could go in your backyard with the proper permits. I say uh, this this take place. Um, in the product picture, it features a bedroom and a spiral staircase that leads to a roof deck. While the image of the product is shown complete with windows and doors, you're going to have to pay extra for those additions. You're right, windows and doors. Uh, oh, and also plumbing. Yeah, you'll always... Electrical, yeah. Anything else? What what else is on there? The deck. <laughs> it's shown with a deck, but it does it says optional apparently on the website. Assembly. <laughs> yeah, permits. I mean that's an obvious one, but yeah. All, yeah. So permits are gonna cost you several thousand. A contractor that's gonna have to do the electric because you're Electrical plumbing? I don't think you want electrical plumbing. The no, power of a I was comma. I thinking there needs to be a comma in between those. <laughs> so somebody will have to install the doors in the windows, the electrical and the plumbing, and other details. Probably uh, if... Like light switches, or I guess that's part of electrical. But... It, maybe even like the drywall and stuff like that. If it's a oh. drywalled, if it's prefab and finished on the inside... That's one thing. It's probably but, like sinks and toilets and showers and all kinds of yeah, things. Everything that makes. Yeah. I mean, this is easily going to be, and this is conservative. It'll easy, easily be triple that price. Yeah. Know. I'd say if so too. More. Yeah. yeah. This. <sighs> this went so fast from being, hey, let's do this to. Right. There is no way in hell that I could justify doing this. I mean, it looked pretty intriguing from the headline. Plus, I don't think that I would uh, want to do it here because there's too many external sounds that would penetrate these walls. These walls are not going to be, you know, like castle walls, you know, four feet thick and impervious to dogs barking and all of that. And you can't do that for a studio, you know. You have to be uh, double hush hush. ASMR is taking place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next article. This one is going to be fun. Oh, it's not working. There we go. So um, we have a winner. Yesterday, we were talking about two people whose race to 100 ended prematurely because of glitches. Well, Diablo 4 has a winner in its race to the world's first level 100, but the hardcore mode competition rages on. As reported by PC Games N, streamer Rob2628 was the first Diablo 4 player in the world to reach the game's max level of 100 on its normal difficulty. Uh, but this is not the hardcore 100, apparently, with four more players having uh, since reached the finish line as well. And, you know, after the first one, then there's a whole bunch of people that always uh, come in. It's like a, a marathon or um, drinking in a bar. So... If you drink in a uh, see, 
Okay, so the AI just threw like an error message at me. Like, what the heck are you talking about? Okay, you can drink a whole bunch of beer, but the moment that you have to go to the bathroom, you're done. That means that every time you drink a beer, you're going to end up going back to the bathroom. Once the floodgates are open, shutting them is almost an impossibility. You might as well just start drinking water and starting to recover um, from your stupor um, and getting an Uber and going home and, and just being chill um, and then uh, going pee and then going to bed because you're done. You're not going to be able to be in a sustained conversation. You're not going to be able to do anything because you're always going to be processing and going to the bathroom. It's just the way that it works. It's, it's an immutable, it's a, it, it's a, um, what do they call it? A constant, like, like a, a fundamental constant. But... Yeah. It's a, a fundal fundamental constant. So anyway, um, the world's, the world's first hardcore 100 or mode 100, uh, meanwhile, remains up for grabs with a streamer call named, uh, Udijo, currently leading at level 87. Now I want to follow them. Let's see where they are right now. I'm going to leave it. Um, they're at 92 right now. They've been streaming for 17 hours. Wow. Nice. All right, folks. Um, the article was written for PC Gamer by Ted Litchfield. This is Steamer. <laughs> it should be Streamer. Rob, 26, Maybe that's intentional. <laughs> well, he was steaming to 100. Took his barbarian straight to the top. So, oh, what? I didn't see what he was. Um, Udijo, I didn't see what class he is. I'll take a look after the show. Anyway. Um, just so y'all know, <laughs> sorcerers are like way OP. I mean, they're just amazing and so much fun because I got, I got a sorcerer that's like shooting like pew, 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 pew with his hands. So pew, 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 pew. And it looks like he's shooting like a gun. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. I guess never mind. I'll just move on. So do you um, are you by the way, that's like a it says HC Rogue. Oh, the, uh, you followed the link. I just looked up some information about Udijo. Oh, OK, so a rogue. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's one of the rogue. Yeah, hardcore rogue. Yep. Um, competitor Draylin, Rengar 666, uh, Clapjock, KOP. I don't know how to pronounce that name and Willem. Um, we're quick to join Rob 2628 in the 100 club with another nine players already in the nineties as well. All of this applies to the race on Diablo 4's normal difficulty or as Diablo builds has unfortunately dubbed it soft core. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Why don't they just really lean into it and call it tourist mode? <laughs> so, all right, folks. Um, Go and check out this article. Um, there's there's always more. We kind of uh, add our own little bit to it, but 
there's more that you can suss out links that are embedded in the URLs that are in the articles and whatnot. Let's do our last article. Uh, this is probably going to impact you if it sustains itself. Long Beach is by far the largest port of call for goods coming from international uh, overseas sources. Although it could be a, an American company, it's always produced overseas because we have so many environmental impact requirements that we don't do domestic manufacturing unless it is extremely high quality um, with uh, oversight the likes of which you just don't see in overseas um, manufacturing unless you are like Apple or something like that where you can afford to pay for somebody to be embedded in the process. Well, anyway, um, this is in the Hatch Ideas channel because it has to do with business. Uh, largest terminal in Long Beach, California port won't open Monday after getting hit by labor turmoil. There isn't even a little snippet here because it's not provided by CNBC except for the headline. Lori Ann LaRocco is the author of this. It says TTI, the largest terminal in Long Beach, canceled all trucking orders for both imports and exports on Monday. Um, and this here is what's going on. Um, if you've never heard of Longshoremen, Longshoremen is a union of uh, workers that typically work on docks and other industrial places, but um, typically docks. Um, the longshoremen called dailies who fill in daily positions are not showing up for work at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Steady longshoremen, which are senior employees who are on staff, reported for work Friday and Saturday. No union workers showed up at the port of Oakland on Friday and Saturday. Uh, reports spread that union workers are red-tagging equipment to take it out of service for safety reviews, creating congestion and slowing down work. And this is because they are going to be embattled by automation and technology. I'm calling it now. Um, not even the fear of AI, but just automation and technology. Um, there's increasing talk about automating long haul trucking and automating the ports. So, and uh, oh, there it is. Um, so, <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so the largest terminal operator at the port of long, long beach, California told truckers Sunday, it will close for both day and night shifts on Monday, according to an email obtained by CNBC ports and workers are locked in an unofficial dispute over wages as well as safety, automation, and pension benefits. This is probably the biggest um, because what ended up happening a while back was there was similar outages like this um, and it led to an increase in the salaries but not an increase in the number of positions. So because the positions didn't blossom like what's trying to happen with the writer's strike um the salaries so like increased. the lack of people in the writer's rooms correct yeah um and you're really quiet for some reason i'm not sure i don't think i changed anything um so the um the the prices went up for the salaries right the basically the cost for an employee that's a longshoreman 
and the union is extremely strong, like chokehold on ports. Um, except that automation can decimate the workforce because it doesn't take some, it, it takes a technology to just see where something is, reach down and grab it, move it over and set it down on something that's tagged as this is where it goes. And it can do that day in, day out, automation. And it doesn't cost 150 to $200,000 per labor. Right. Yeah. You don't need overtime, people calling out sick, blah, blah, blah. Red tagging um, devices simply because they want to, uh, you know, call a strike. And so if you don't know, red tagging basically says that there's something wrong with the item, uh, with the, the, the technology, and it has to be audited to make sure that it's safe. Um, now, it may actually happen, right? The devices, the 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 equipment might actually be defective in some way. And so they have to, it's kind of like being swatted. The, the, the police have to show up. They can't just let it, let it sit. But in this case, if it is actually happening and the organization that they work for isn't securing the devices, right? The, the, the equipment, it could turn into something like the trains, right? Because the train operators were sitting there saying there's problems, there's problems, uh, but they were swept under the rug. And then lo and behold, trains are suddenly allergic to their tracks constantly. Yeah, they have to take that seriously. Yeah, because the liability is massive. they can determine that people are intentionally, I mean, but they really, even if they suspect that they still have to treat it seriously because of the you know, potential of death, injury, etc. Yeah. Yep, the liability transfers over. So it says, to put it lightly, gate disruptions make it difficult for our members to plan and deploy truck capacity. Unfortunately, we don't know which terminals are going to limit or shut down operations until it's happening, and at that point, it's oftentimes too late to react since trucks are already dispatched for the day. Yep. So the, uh, I mean, another statement is... This is going to be like the Suez Canal issue. Oh my God, that's exactly what I was going to lead with. That's the statement that I was going to say. Okay, so again, y'all, we don't talk about that. I don't interact with the AI regarding these articles, um, but that's just creepy. I programmed you so well. <laughs> you have evolved. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's, that is awesome, yeah. It basically is, it's a labor-based Suez Canal boat jam. Gonna stop everything else from coming through. And now all and of this stuff is gonna back clear, up. It's not gonna be like a day. Like even if they suddenly got everything back up and running, yeah, the ripple effects are gonna take a while to get through. And we yep. know it's not gonna be a day, but just as an example. Let's see. Uh, 1900 let's see that can't be right 133 vessels a day is that right that can't be right maybe think about how many containers are on each of those currently there are 133 vessels in the port of los angeles 49 are scheduled to make a port of call at los angeles yeah. 
So within the next 24 hours. Well, guess what's not getting done tomorrow? And that's going to delay, 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 delay. Hmm. I don't think so. The port of Los Angeles, the, the nation's largest port, processed 2.5 million containers from January through April. Wow. So oh, this is interesting. On the Port of Long Beach's uh, website, you can get tons of statistics. Oh, really? That's neat. Yeah, I'll, I'll send that to you. Oh, for there it is. But yeah. not for the show. The facts and figures statistics page. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Cool. Thanks. Um, I had looked at another data source. So, okay, folks. So if you're expecting a shipment tomorrow, it's going to be later in the week. And you don't know which one because they say that it's Long Beach, the largest terminal at Long Beach, California port won't open Monday, but they don't know which one it is. If only one port of Oakland, um, Los Angeles, Long Beach. I mean, there's longshoremen based um, ports all up and down uh, the California coast. Just happens to be the biggest one is Long Beach. Um, and it's huge. So at any rate, um, that's it for hometown daily. I always bring you back to the front page where I can mash that logo and give you a whole bunch of new articles. Take over an annoying Skyrim shopkeeper shop in this mod. That would be cool. Well, it depends. Skyrim is a standalone thing. So unless there's like business taking place, like a shop sim within Skyrim, that would be amazing. Let's see what else. If you're interested in Spider-Man movies being ranked from worst to best, there's a variety article there. I'm sure there's some strong opinions there. <laughs> yeah. Future movers, oil prices jump more than 2% after Saudi Arabia since July production cut. This was an article um a, a, it was a pre-meeting article that um, was already in hometown. This is the result of it, apparently. Um, and this oh, is another one of the. Must have followed this. the OPEC news. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. Two AI stocks. Uh, what, huh. What about the newer couple with the sixty-six million dollar cupcake business who went bust? Let's see. This one says a New York couple who saw their cupcake empire soar to $66 million um, before going bust say they there's never been a moment of regret selling the business and wouldn't write off doing it again. Selling the business? How could it have gone bust if they sold the business? The couple behind Crumb's Bake Shop said they don't regret selling it even after it eventually failed. Crumb's got so big, it was acquired by a holdings company for $66 million and went public. The couple bought the Crumb's brand back again after seven years after it went bankrupt. I don't understand. It may have gone bankrupt, but it didn't go bankrupt under their watch. It was sold. Right. When Jason and Mia Bauer sold the iconic crumbs 
bake shop in 2011. They thought it was they were leaving it in good hands. This is such a weird headline. It implies that it was them that lost it after rising and flaming out, but that's not how it worked. They sold it to somebody else that mismanaged it, it seems. It would be an interesting discussion, but you know how I am with this stuff. I I read it and and peel back the layers of the onion and go, yeah, this is this is not the reality of what actually went down. So I don't know. We can talk about it um, tomorrow if you want to add it to the uh, list. It'd be fun discussion. Just yeah, it'll be a fun discussion. Oh my goodness! Peter Gabriel shares a new song, "Road to Joy." I didn't know he was still writing new music. Taylor Swift halts Morgan Wallen's three-month streak at number one. So Taylor Hocus Swift. Pocus three. Hocus Pocus three. Wow. Wow, this is like a magical front page. Uh, it, this is amazing. Great moments in PC gaming, landing an impossible shot in XCOM 2. <gasps> yeah, nobody. Well, nobody in this in hometown knows about that. Oh, yeah, here we go. NORAD scrambled an F-16 to intercept an apparently wayward civilian business jet. That person actually passed out. The plane crashed. This has happened in the past, by the way. Um, a senator, I believe, was flying um, and passed out because the plane decompressed and um, they eventually crashed as well. And they had scrambled a jet to go and check it out. That's always a bummer. That really sucks. Sorry for their loss. Um, okay, folks, so that is how it works here in Ometown Daily every day at 9 p.m. We are here to talk about, you know, now 12 articles. Uh, it's a nice uh, four-row uh, voting block there that you can go and vote. Um, you just go here and then click on Daily Election. It's actually right here already. And you can vote on the articles. We haven't done our vote yet. Um, but feel free if you are watching this and you are oh so motivated to take part in the election. Uh, we keep it all in mind and we have the historical record of it. And you can actually go back and vote all the way back to the 20th. We have other records from previous um, elections uh, via previous shows from a different source, but we stopped using that source and now do it here right on hometown. So. You don't have to go to another website and do another thing somewhere else. At any rate, that's it for today. Thank you very much for hanging out. Uh, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And right there is the AI. You want to say bye bye Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow for the daily at 9 p.m. Eastern, but earlier for other content. That's right. I will be there. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.